the biggest thing that happened for me was it's not how much I wanted to get done. It was when did I have time to, to get those things done? When was I going to actually do those things? I have a lot to do, but when I organize my day really well, it's actually pretty doable. Say, as far as social life and all of these things that you know didn't provide results, of course, but generally I got you know all my classes taken care of and all of the extracurriculars that I was a part of, clubs and organizations and internships. I had time to to do all those things. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. We've got a great show for you today. A legend in his industry, Charlie Fletcher, is here to talk about boring energy. But he's going to talk about how he made it awesome. Excellence is working at play and playing at work. He's going to talk about the integration of his personal and business values and the power of culture. He's going to talk about the process and path to starting a company. If you want to start a company, there's some good stuff for you here. He's going to talk about retiring early, which many of you want to do, and how that really looks, and his lifelong focus of lifting and the impact of leading with the heart. You can find Charlie at MesaEnergySystems.com. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Ashton Avery, straight off the lake and straight out of the corn dog catering truck, ready to talk to us about his life. Welcome, Ashton, to the Edge of Excellence. Yes, thank you for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. Well, Ashton, it's my pleasure to have you here. I've had such nice times with you touring around the Midwest, tasting the best of the best of corn dogs in Manhattan, Kansas. By the way, if you're listening, and you get a chance to go to Manhattan, Kansas. What's that place called we went to? <laughs> Varsity Food Truck. Varsity Food Truck. Varsity Food Truck in Manhattan, Kansas. If you like corn dogs, there is no better corn dogs. And by the way, Ashton, I eat some pretty good food. I've been around the world eating the best food. And I'm just going for excellence. And if you want to make an excellent corn dog, you get that recipe from Varsity Food Truck because they make the best one. But we're not here to talk about corn dogs, Ashton. We, <laughs> we are here to talk about your life what you did to get ahead, where you're going, some of your habits. And we're going to start off the way we always start off. Ashton Avery, what is your definition of excellence? Yeah, so the way I kind of define excellence is really just kind of surpassing what I would consider ordinary standards, really. It's kind of the point in time where outstanding is the new normal. I believe it's something you kind of are and not something you achieve. If you achieve excellence, then what? Excellent people always strive to become better. And most of the time, they're so focused on becoming it, it's hard to recognize that they have become excellent in the process. I believe it's kind of when your ordinary has become someone else's extraordinary. So you're always striving. You're never quite there. 
and outstanding is your new norm? And is it outstanding in everything you do, or can you just be excellent at work or just be excellent at sports or just be excellent at community, or do you need to be excellent at everything to be excellent in your mind? I mean, it definitely helps when you're excellent at one thing, but I think it's the the strive and the want to be excellent at everything you do. All right. So surpassing ordinary standards, I like that. Outstanding is your new level. You're never there and you're striving for ex- balanced excellence. Yes. So that's interesting because people talk a lot in the entrepreneurial circles. I've seen a lot of speakers um, talk and a lot of times they come to the need to celebrate, the need to recognize. They say the goal is always the horizon. You never get there. And that kind of ties into your definition of excellence. Um, you're never there. You're always striving. What do you do, Ashton? Because you've had a lot of excellence in your life and you've broken a lot of records and done a lot of things that most people don't even think possible. What do you do to celebrate, to stop? Even though you're going to keep striving, even though you're never there, do you do anything to stop and pause and celebrate? Or are you caught up in the never-ending wheel of always looking for more? Which is kind of a negative way of asking that question. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) That's all right. I definitely think there there's moments where you definitely need to acknowledge your excellence. Um, But I don't think you should become complacent in your moment of excellence. I think it's something that you should always strive for and that never ending wheel of wanting to get better. But that doesn't mean you should never, you know, take those moments to acknowledge what you've accomplished and really recognize it. So do you think the act of acknowledgement, the act of celebration creates complacence? Depends. I think, I think there's levels of how much you want to celebrate it. I think there's moments where you can recognize it and acknowledge that you're doing really well or that you've become outstanding or you're excellent at something. But if it turns into, you know, moments and a long period of time where that strive for excellence, that hard work and dedication to what got you there stopped, I think that's when you've become complacent because you're okay with where you are. You lose your level of excellence. And, and if you're not growing, you're shrinking. And, and if you're not learning, you're drying up. So um, you're saying that it's okay to stop for a moment and celebrate. But if it becomes moments, if you, if you become a life of celebration, you've lost it, which is interesting because there's so many people that want to retire. And I always argue, you're not really going to retire. You're going to keep doing things. You're going to maybe not do the same business you're doing, but you're going to have to be an investment professional. Maybe it's your own investments, but you have to become excellent at that. You might be uh, a community member. You have to become excellent at that. And actually studies show that half of men die within three years of retirement. And uh, because they're, you know, they, they, because of that complacency, Uh, my dad retired and all of a sudden started slipping and we had to have a talk with him. And he had to start doing brain exercises to get himself back up. Cause if you're not exercising it, it's becoming atrophied. Now, I just want to point out that there are a lot of professionals in the world. And if you're listening right now and you've done a lot of things, um, and I like, I like Ashton's uh, definition, moment, not moments. But Ashton and I both don't celebrate enough. And I'm kind of an asshole. So whenever something goes well, I'm always looking for the next thing to go well. Whenever things are perfect, I'm always looking for what's broken. And it's a fault that I have. And people around me don't really like it. I, people talk to me sometimes like, oh, you're always so negative. I'm working on it. I have to work on it with my my guru dude that lives up in uh, San Francisco, Philip Moffat. I have to work with them on 
acting out of kindness. I have to work with them on uncorrective love. I had another uh, a speaker coach who said, if it's not, if you're not giving at least 20% change in your feedback, don't give the feedback because it's an ego thing. I have to work on that. Um, and if you're a person that's constantly hitting home runs and you don't stop to say, hey, good job, Ashton. Good job, Matt. And you don't take that moment eventually it hurts. If you're a leader and Ashton's a leader, if you don't stop and congratulate the team or the person that did well, and I like it for a moment, it comes back and bites you. So I think it's important that you acknowledge your successes as you move through your path to excellence. I've been coaching some people on getting jobs and it's such a brutal process. No, no, no. You got to deal with all this rejection. You got to look at the little wins, the wins of finding the companies to apply to, the wins of actually getting your cover letters done, the wins of having interviews, the wins of getting a bad job offer. So your psyche goes down if you're not constantly building yourself up. So if you're listening right now on the road to achievement, on the road to surpassing ordinary standards, we got to stop and acknowledge our wins and we got to refute the negative thoughts because it becomes harder to achieve. If you're not, if you don't have a carrot and you're just beating yourself up all the time, it's harder to achieve. But this is about me talking all the time. And by the way, Ashton, I talk all the time. Uh, this is about Ashton. And we're going to go way back to Houston, Texas. Now, did you like Houston, Texas? I did. When I lived there, it was, it was actually a great place since it's you know grown and changed quite a bit. So try to go back there as much as I can, but it's definitely changed quite a bit. So, so I, like, I like Houston, Texas. You got a metropolis. Um, you actually have really uh, uh, fair cost of living. Um, there's a lot of very affordable housing, which I like. I live in a place that has none, which is really hard on a big part of the community. Only thing I can't handle in Houston, Texas is the heat. You get the heat and you get the humidity. So what's the best time to go to Houston, Texas for those that want to visit Houston, Texas? Ooh, great question. I'd say... Trick question. Nobody, <laughs> nobody visits it. Nobody visits it. <laughs> All right. So you're in Houston, Texas. Did you go to high school there or is, or is that just where you grew up when you were young? Yeah, I lived there for about 12 years, um, but when I was going into kind of middle school or high school, that's when we moved to Kansas. So I've lived here ever since. Okay. So you moved to Kansas because you like barbecue and uh, the whole family had to move closer to what's that Jack stack. The whole family had to move closer to, Oh, we got two different restaurants that are not sponsors of ours endorsed on this today. Jack stack. We endorse Jack stack. They make great burn ends. If you're in Kansas swing by Jack stack. So you go to uh, Kansas and you got to do middle school and you got to do high school. What was life like for you in high school? Were you a good student? I know you were in football. I know you were in basketball. I know somehow you were in wakeboarding, which I don't even know how that's a sport in high school. Um, I guess you went to a nice high school where everybody had boats and cool stuff. What was life like in high school for you? Um, I mean, life was life was fine. I didn't have to study too hard. Um, were, were you surpassing ordinary standards yet? Trying to, but I wouldn't say as far as my grades go, I wasn't the you know, number one student. I got good grades, but I didn't have to study really hard. Um, I was a leader on and off the field. I always tried, most importantly, having fun in everything that I did. I tried not to take myself too serious, but at the end of the day, I knew I was going to work harder than my, my peers. Okay. So in high school, you started working harder and you weren't the absolute best but you're working harder now leader on and off the field. And we do have some high school listeners and, you know, you go to high school, you got to prepare your stuff to get into college. Then you go to college and none of the stuff you do to prepare for high school, prepare for college really applies to getting a job. And a lot of the stuff in college, unfortunately, doesn't apply for getting a job and working harder is an interesting one. 
So why were you a leader in high school? Was that because you just wanted to be, or is that because you were thinking into the future and why were you working hard? Is that just who you are or were you actually conscious? Well, I knew one thing and it was, I was the type of person that if I didn't want to do something, I wouldn't give it my all. I would try to to avoid doing it altogether. But if I wanted to do something and I enjoyed it and put my mind to it, I tried to become the best at that thing, like football, weightlifting, wakeboarding, et cetera. I tried to do the things that were really fulfilling and enjoyable because that feeling it would give me would fuel my hunger of wanting to become the best and compete against my peers. Okay. So do you like every aspect of football? Um, there was time, there were parts or times that were unenjoyable for sure. But um, generally, playing football was giving me that feeling of fulfillment and, and, and joy. So, okay. So I, wanna, I just want to take a pause here because sometimes people get confused. They think I have to like everything about this thing. So you're basically arguing the argument if you want to excel at something, it needs to be something you're passionate about. If you want to make a lot of money in life, you're not going to make a lot of money if you're chasing down something you hate. You really should not focus on the money. You should chase down the passion. So you're making the argument that it's easier to succeed if you're passionate. It's easier to succeed if you love what you do. However, everything you do has everything you do has things you don't like, right? Everything you do has elements that aren't fun. So how do you get through the bad parts of the things you love? And what would you say to the listeners out there that kind of write things off? Like actually my daughter, she told my wife, she's writing me off. Uh, Like you can't write me off because of something that happened four months ago. So what do you say to the people that maybe don't have their prefrontal cortex fully formed, which doesn't happen until you're 25 and are looking for things that are hundred percent awesome. How do you get through the parts that aren't bad, that aren't good? I mean, yeah, I would definitely just analyze whether or not the activity you're doing or the organization you're involved in or the job you do or the sport you play, does it provide you that sense of fulfillment? Is there a purpose? Is there a reason you're doing this? Is what you're doing important to you long-term? Because everything you do, there's going to be times where you don't want to do it or it's not fun or it's hard. Okay, so I think about marriage as you're talking. This is a great example. So <laughs> yeah. you can use this marriage analogy. If you're listening right now, you may not be married, but you're going to have a job that you're married to. You're going to have friends that you're married to. You're going to have hobbies that you're married to. You're going to have passions that you're married to. Marriage is the hardest thing I've ever done. And the second hardest is raising kids. There's no instruction manual. Everything's different. There's so many nuances. They can't write a book that'll work for everybody. You can't go to a priest or a therapist that's going to get you through all the problems. So there are times when you can't stand yourself and you can't stand your spouse or your partner when you're in that marriage type relationship. And so if I put your definition on it, does my marriage provide fulfillment? Does my marriage provide purpose? Does my marriage align with my values? How is it impacting me long-term? I can get through the good times and the bad times. And in work, I've had bad years and I love my job. I've had bad years. And I remember I called my dad one time when I was younger and I said, hey, Jill and I had a bad day. And my dad said, son, you're going to have bad years. And I thought, what? You're going to have bad years. How's that possible? And Jill and I strung seven bad years in a row together. Seven bad years in a row. In your job, 
You're going to have bad days, bad weeks, bad months. You may have bad years. And in our company, we've had some financial strife. One of them took three years. And if you think about uh, Ashton's um, definition here, how is it impacting you long-term? How does it overall, how's the scope of it overall feel to you? Does it align with your passions? Because you can't walk away from your wife, husband, or partner just because you've had a bad day, bad week, bad year. Because there's going to be a huge impact long-term if you do. So part of life, and Ashton says, you know, you love it. You're going to be the best at it. You know, uh, it, 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 it's easier to work hard if it totally aligns, but there's times it doesn't. And the real skill, the real key to being excellence, excellent is keep that positive focus. Remember how it aligns with your values and your passions. Remember what you're getting out of it in bad times. And if you're listening right now, remember what my dad said. I want to save marriages here too. You're going to have bad days, bad weeks, bad years. You have to learn to get over it. You hate your day at your job. There's a skill set to getting over it. So I know you've hated some days in your job and some days in your life. What do you do to get over the bad times? Yeah, I just try to stay positive. There's going to be bad times in really any job you do. So how are these bad times different than another job I would have? So you keep it, you, you reflect and put it in perspective. Yeah, I think that too. You know, this is bad. What would it be like if I was somewhere else? You know, I, I was talking to my friend. I was coaching my friend's wife because my friend's wife beat the crap out of him for years and finally drove him away. And I was talking to her and she said, how do I get him back? I said, you got to recognize you beat the crap out of him. I don't know. He may be broken. You may be getting back. And she said, you know, I'm the type of person that likes to be married. I like having kids. If I, if it doesn't work out with this guy, um, I'll end up getting another person. I'll end up getting married and having more kids, but I'm going to have more baggage to deal with. It'll be different. I've already got this history with this guy. Why don't I patch it together and work it out? Because everybody's got something bad going on. Everybody's got baggage. Every job's got something. Every job's got baggage. So what you do is you focus on the good. You stay positive. You, you try to ignore some of the bad stuff. You keep it in perspective. How bad is it? How good has it been? And you think long-term too, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can always get another job, but if the job you do have provides that sense of fulfillment and that joy and gives you a purpose, you know, I asked myself, would another job give me that same thing? Yeah, exactly. Because yes, I'm, I'm having a bad day, a bad week. Yeah. But am I not going to have those at another yeah. job? Yeah. The grass is always browner on the other side too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So you're going through high school. You're surpassing ordinary standards, but you're not number one. Um, you're doing some things that you love. And you're wakeboarding. And were you a professional wakeboarder, a sponsored wakeboarder, a high school wakeboarder? What were you? No, I, I grew up just on the lake pretty much my whole young childhood and uh, wakeboarded as much as I could. And then when I got to kind of high school, I started wakeboarding a little bit more often. And then when I got to college, I was asked to join the collegiate wakeboarding team at the school I went to and just kind of took, for, took off from there. But I would never say I was, quote unquote, professional at, at all. Well, it's not quote unquote professional. You either get paid or you don't. So you were not a pro. <laughs> yeah. You were a college wakeboarder. All right. Um, so you go off to college uh, after after high school and you had uh, you got your degree in financial management with portfolio analysis. You had kind of some of the regular life experiences in college. You're a camp counselor. 
you're a fraternity dude. You're the um, you're the we were the new member chair or the social chair. I was the pledge educator, so yeah, pledge member. educator. So you're head of uh, abuse and hazing, and that's what your resume looked like, right? And I actually had a resume like yours that I forwarded on to one of my big wig friends, and he sent it back to me. He's like, "Nah, this person's not good enough." And I'm like, "Well, you know, she's okay. She's not that great." A fourth of her resume was all her sorority experience. He kicked it back just because of that. So you got your average kind of college resume of camp counselor and frat and who cares. Um, then you got your sports in college, which gives you a little, well, at least you had a job. So first, while you're in college, you got to get a job. If your parents told you that sports was enough in high school, they lied. You're not playing professional sports either. So time to start working. So you, you got to work in high school. If you forgot that, you got to work in college because no one's hiring you if you haven't had a job. And it's really hard to be the boss of someone if you've never had a job next to impossible. So you start building the kind of normal college resume or let's say top 50%. You get good grades. You got the regular camp counseling job. You got the bullshit who cares fraternity stuff going on. And then you decided you needed to get ahead a little bit. Uh, oh, and then you were a painter in our one of our companies at college works you're just an everyday painter and then something clicked you decided you need more so what went through your head when you when you decided you had to do something to go from maybe the four the the, the 60th percentile to the 90th percentile what was the decision process yeah i just tried to constantly surround myself with those who were also trying to get the most out of their time in college the ones that were trying to be in the top you know 95 percentile that's what I tried to surround myself with. So especially when I was going through college, um, you know, I didn't really want to be just like any other student. When you first get to college, you don't really know exactly what you want to do or dive into or spend your time doing. But um, I joined a fraternity. I didn't want to just be a part of it. My mindset was I wanted to run it. I tried to be as busy as I could. I was a full-time student, um, a pledge educator of my fraternity on the wakeboard team trying to get good grades. And eventually I needed to do an internship. So I tried to become one of the top interns in the country at that internship. I like to think I didn't really have time to be mediocre. I was too busy. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disc assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. Okay, so if someone's listening right now, and I mean, you don't go on the Edge of Excellence podcast if you're not kind of trying to strive. But there are, and I've had people on the show, one of my friends, Hassan, was on the show. He was a total screw-off. 
when he was in high school. And then he had an epiphany. Um, I don't know how old he was, 21, 22. He had an epiphany. So there might be some people that haven't been striving to be in the top 95%, haven't been trying to surpass ordinary um, people, try not to be outstanding in every level, and now they're deciding to. So in high school and early college, were you surrounding yourself with top people? Were you focused on productivity, not just busyness? Were you striving for the next level always? Or did that happen kind of as you were halfway through college? I would say it definitely kind of happened during my sophomore year of college, my second, third year um, at K-State. I was hanging out with the really hardworking, you know, the people that wanted to be the best. But it wasn't until probably my second or third year where I was hanging around them so much. And I started to invest my time into those really beneficial activities or organizations or pushing myself to the limit that's when i really started to experience oh wow i'm you know they're kind of rubbing off on me so how so how did so is that how you realized you were kind of doing it serendipitously accidentally and then you went wait a second i'm becoming a better person because i did this or did you consciously move that way because you knew it would make you a better person i would say it just kind of subconsciously happened um i would you know, take on one role after another. Um, and eventually, you know, I was involved in all of these things and I wasn't just trying to, you know, do okay at each. I tried to be the best at each thing I did. I tried to be the best student. I tried to be, you know, the best wakeboarder on the team. I tried to be, you know, the best intern in the country. I tried to be, you know, the best pledge educator. And um, I tried to give each thing I was involved in 100% of my time. And I think just subconsciously, I was in every aspect of my life, trying to be the most efficient, productive, and impactful with every second of my day. And I think eventually hanging out with those really similar people, it just helped me shine a little bit. All right. So you're turning up the volume slowly through life. And I guess if you're successful early, it's easier to turn up the volume. If you're, if you're, you know, kind of in that zone of not knowing where you're going. And, and you talked about this earlier. You talked about you're never there, but it's important to stop. And maybe you're not celebrating because you're not quite able to celebrate yet, but important to stop and say, okay, what's working? What's not working? And I, and as you're talking, I started thinking, I'm like, you know, yeah, I guess I try to do everything my best. And I always wanted to be the best dad. I'm still working at it. I, I mean, I go talk to this guru dude. I talk to my wife. My wife talks to therapists. We talk to friends. We're trying to be the best um, couple, the best at marriage, which is really hard. I read books. I got a couple on my desk. I go to YPO and EO, and I talk to all these people like Sean Baldwin, who I really respect, that give me great feedback and help me be better. And as I look at people like Sean Baldwin or other friends of mine, they're always trying to do better and better and better. So is it conscious? I don't know, but I bet we had an epiphany like, like Ashton did that, okay, things are going pretty well. Why is this happening? So you found out, you surround yourself with, with motivated people and there was losers in his fraternity and there were winners. So who are you going to hang? And it's fun to hang out with the guys that do nothing but party. I do it sometimes too, but eventually they start dragging you down. So you, you are the some of your five closest friends. We've heard that a bunch on this show. You surround yourself with top people. You talked about being busy. I'm going to replace that with productive are you going through actions or are you getting more done with your time? You're thinking about what the next level is and you're pausing and you're analyzing 
as you move through. So you're in college, you're a sophomore. Were you a sophomore when you did when you were a painter? Yes. Okay, so you're a sophomore. You go start painting. You're painting for your buddy Conrad. We're gonna get Conrad on the show. I just sent him an email yesterday, and he was a pretty darn good manager. So you decide I want to be like Conrad. Yeah, kind of. It was just more like, what's the next step? I did this summer job where I painted houses, and I saw the success you know my buddy had at this internship, and um, seems like I could be pretty good at this. And um, no offense to Conrad, but I always thought whatever he can do, I can do it better. And I was just kind of rationally like, this is probably my next step is just to do this internship and, you know, get the same experience that he did. Maybe not, maybe more and do better than him. So, okay. So that's another thing. Um, you create a little competition that that can be unhealthy because, because you're beating yourself up a lot. It can be unhealthy because you start talking trash to the Conrads of the world or it can be healthy. And a lot of times people will drag each other down or lift each other up. And I know both you and Conrad. So he knows you want to kick his butt, but he's going to still help you and encourage you. You know that he's great, but you're going to try to beat him. So you have this kind of sibling rivalry um, that you're lifting each other up. So your, your system of surround yourself, work on productivity, looked at the next level, be aware of what working led you to go and take the college works program. And if you're not in Kansas or you're not in the Midwest and you can't do the college works program, there's other things. What are your most successful friends doing? Who's having the biggest impact in their life? Who's changing the most? Who's developing the most skills? And you can ask them, you can go work with them and start to follow that path or many other paths. So you came to college works, um, and you weren't as were you as were you as uh, productive of an intern as Conrad? I would say so. Yeah, it was it was a little bit challenging um, being involved in all of those things that I was in. Did you did you did you do more estimates? Did you find more customers? Did you have more employees? Did you profit more? Did you have a higher customer satisfaction rating? Were you able to beat Conrad in those areas? And would you say you are more excellent than Conrad? <laughs> I was. I did have more customers. I did you know, 1.5 times more revenue. I had more employees. I had a higher customer service satisfaction rating. I, I beat, I beat them. Yes. Okay. Well, this isn't about comparing ourselves to other people and it's definitely not about talking down to Conrad, but I, I know you wanted to do that. So uh, I gave you a little, a little spot. So, um, and, and let's just talk about college works, not specifically, but you're in college works and it could have been any job where you're leading other people any job where you're interacting with clients and cutting deals, any job where you've got a team that you're managing, any job that you've got to work a little bit harder than you thought, any job where you're in charge, whatever those jobs will be. I don't know of any other ones, but uh, let's say you're, you're doing whatever that job is. What were some of the struggles? How did you get through them? And what did you learn and how did you apply it? Yeah, I'd say my biggest struggle especially just being in college was time management. I was very productive. Um, I was busy. I was doing a lot of things, but I was also very productive. And I think that switch flipped when I got organized. That switch flipped from being busy to productive when I started to manage my time well. And how do you, what, like, what are some of the things you do? Like they're busy as you're working a lot, but you're not getting a lot done. Right. How did you go from getting a, getting a bunch of, action to getting a bunch of results. Right. And then I believe that's when I started a Google calendar 
when I started keeping track of all the things I wanted to do each day. And the biggest thing that happened for me was it's not how much I wanted to get done. It was when did I have time to, to get those things done? When was I going to actually do those things? I have a lot to do, but when I organize my day really well, it's actually pretty doable. Did you have things that you weren't able to do? Some say as far as social life and all of these things that, you know, didn't provide results, of course, but generally I got, you know, all my classes taken care of and all the extracurriculars that I was a part of clubs and organizations and internships. I had time to, to do all those things. And you had no social life. I, I had one, um, wasn't as great as some of my friends, but I, I had one for sure. Wasn't as great or wasn't as busy. <laughs> wasn't as time consuming as some of my other friends. Was it better social life than some of your other friends though? Even though I think so because I had more of a balance. I, you know, got to do all the things that I wanted to accomplish in college and have a social life. They only had a social life or not all of them, but a lot of them. Yeah. Of them. I've never, I've never worked nine to five. And I think about people that work nine to five. It's a pretty nice gig, right? Sleep in a little bit. You're done. You're done all afternoon. Um, I've had 12 hour days, 16 hour days, hundred hour, lots of hundred hour weeks, but I also travel around the world all the time. I'm also going to the Middle East for nine days in a few weeks, going to the Kentucky Derby this weekend. So I work really, really hard when I work and put in two weeks worth of work compared to most people. And then I'm able to take time off and you do the same. So you had a productive social life, not a busy social life. I partied every Friday and Saturday for four years in college. And I did go to the Playboy Party School of the Year, UC Santa Barbara. But I also got great grades. So you learn to be really effective from busy to productive. So you got your uh, you got your calendar. So the first step is use your calendar. Second step, you went from what to when. Started talking about um, how you had to organize everything and you had time for everything, but you didn't have time for everything. You didn't have hours and hours that you wasted. You probably had time to lay in the field and ponder things. You probably had meditation time. You had workout time but you had to learn how to prioritize. And by the way, we do have an episode on time management. If you want to uh, learn some of the stuff that Ashton learned, we have an episode. Go to, go to wherever you get your podcast and look up the time management episode. And if you go to our website and you hear it in the mid-reel, uh, we've got a white paper on how to learn to manage your time, to budget for pre-work, to budget for fun, to prioritize. So you have the absolute most fun when you're having fun. And your absolute most uh, studious when you're studying and the most productive when you're at work. So one of your biggest struggles was figuring out your time management so you could get it all done. And you got through it by just practice, I guess. Right. Yeah, definitely. I wasn't great at managing my time when I started, but just through that constant repetition of putting those things in my calendar and, you know, I wouldn't get everything done that day and I have to put some events on the next day or the, even the day after, but it was that constant need to put all the activities, the things I had to do into my daily life on paper to see when I had to get those done. Yeah. To... What a dork, what a dork you are now that you did that. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, Definitely. no, you're not. No, you're not. You're more productive. The dork is the person that forgets things. The dork is the person that doesn't show up. The dork is the person that 
turns in B or C rated material because they didn't plan for it. So struggling with time management was first. And then, I mean, you've had some bad times, right? And I don't know if you're like me. I don't really remember the good times as much as I remember the bad times, which is, I don't know if that says something about me, but I just remember back to, you know, my hard jobs I did. And I, I've had a lot of jobs in my life, but definitely that college works one was the hardest. And I just, like, I remember Dick Ream, who was one and all the hassles I had with him, but I also remember the lessons from it. So was there anything that almost broke you? And you're like, I'm done with this. I mean, I had so many times where I'm like, I'm done with this. And then I realized I'm not a quitter. I'm not giving up on anything till it's over. And then I stuck it out. And those horrible experiences were actually the best lessons for me and probably the most important part of my, my job. Did you ever have any of those horrible experiences that you were just done and it ended up being the greatest thing for you? Um, none that really, really stand out. But last year, as a rookie district manager, um, I didn't have the best year. I tried my best and I was surrounded with the best. But I think one thing I learned is that when you surround yourself with the best and you compete with the best at all times, there are times where you won't always win. You won't always be number one. And I learned that I'd much rather compete with the best than win against the worst. And when you surround yourself with the best, you slowly become it. And I had a year where I didn't get the best results. I didn't, didn't accomplish everything I wanted to do. But the next year, this year, I'm getting to experience what it's like to reap the benefits of always competing and training with the best. <clears throat> so I, I grew up in New Mexico and I, and I swam there. And I was a pretty good swimmer in high school, or so I thought. Because I lived in New Mexico, which is the big swimming state. If I had swum in California, like I wouldn't even be on the team, maybe. And if you're playing baseball or you're playing soccer or you're swimming and you're in California or you're in Texas, um, you're at a whole different level than you would be in some other states. So I felt like king of the world. And I think it's important to feel like king of the world. I went to a really high end private school and I didn't get great grades. And my parents pulled me out and what put me in a different school and I went to straight A's and I became arrogant and felt like the king of the world. So you're, we're kind of speaking out of uh, two sides of our mouth here on one side, surround yourself with all these people that are going to kick your ass and keep lifting you and making you better and better. And on the other side, I'm saying you got to have this confidence to get yourself to the next level. So how did you deal with it last year when you felt down because you weren't the best anymore? How did you get through that time? Yeah, and I think it's it's definitely a two-sided sword. It's something that you got to recognize. You're not always going to be the best. When you train with the best, that's it's the whole point of it, right? Like you're training with the best people at it, that thing. So until you become the best, you're not going to be number one. But I think it's important to surround yourself and to provide that friction with those people that are going to make you better. Because when you get to that point, you realize this is not the results I want. I'm not achieving the things I want to achieve right now, but I know that that's what I asked for. I asked to be surrounded by these people and to be pushed this way. So as long as I don't give up, I will achieve those things and so, become the best. So let, let's, let's give the person listening right now some tangibles. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know you're in the right circle. You know you're doing the right thing. You know you're pushing yourself, but you're not hitting the home runs you're used to. You've always been great and you're not hitting the home runs you're used to. Or maybe, you know, you're having an epiphany. It's time to change your life. You've got a little bit of an uphill battle and 
you're not feeling like you're getting there. So, um, you know, what do you do? You stop, you think about it, you make a plan. You know, what is what is your process to get through the learning curve, so to speak? Yeah, the learning curve, it's a uncomfortable time. And I think you have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone for that duration of time to allow yourself to change and to learn those new things and to, you know, experience the failures, learn from them, you know, find some success and then repeat those successes. I think it's important to, you know, fail and get back up again. Absolutely. When I think about the analogy, like the weight room, for example, are you choosing to partner up with the strongest person in, in the room or are you partnering up with someone that you know you can beat? Because you're going to win in one, but when you partner up with the strongest person in the room, you're probably not going to be the strongest. You're not going to be better than him, but it's going to make you stronger in the end. Okay. So first of all, the process to control your mindset, according to Ashton, one, you're striving for lack of comfort. You're allowing lack of comfort. You're going into something that you know is going to be harder and you're not going to be the best at. So that's first thing. You know you're going to the next level. Acknowledge it's the next level. Second thing, as you're struggling, focus on what you learned. Focus on what's good. Focus on how those muscles are growing even though they hurt. And then third, you sort of mentioned we got to acknowledge our process. And there's a process. You know, my biggest lessons are my failures. I look at them as all the times I've had the biggest failures as like one of them I look at as my $250,000 MBA. One of them I look at as my lesson on core competency. So the pain, just like when you're weightlifting, you know, your muscles are all torn up because they grow. So acknowledge the process as you're moving forward, as opposed to what some people do. I'm such a loser. This sucks. I'm dwelling on it. You've got to go, okay, that sucked. I wasn't the best at it. I acknowledge that, but it's my process to getting better. So you were, you were a great painter. You were a great manager, and it's a difficult job running a whole business while you're a junior in college. You became a district manager your first year. You're pretty good. You weren't the best, but you're acknowledging that that's the process, and then you keep moving forward, and then what do you know? You are number one. And so then when you're number one at this, you got to go find something else to do that you're not number one at and start the whole process over again. Absolutely. All right. So as you look back in your life, um, and I know now you're you're kind of at this point where you're out of school, you're working in, in a college works brand, you got choices. Do you stay there? Do you work with national services group in some other way? Do you start a business on your own? Do you start a business with us? How are you weighing that next decision? What's your process there? Yeah, I'm just kind of taking life one day at a time and I'm trying to build a plan and kind of recognize what do I want to accomplish next and analyze where I want to go. So I'm really just kind of trying to take it day by day and see which opportunities will align with my goals and my path that I'm hoping to keep striving excellence on. All right. So Ashton's process for next life decisions. A, set goals. B, make a plan. C, plot your process. D, vet your opportunities. 
E, make a decision and stick with it and go. And that's where some people fail. They, they, they set their goals. They make a plan. They plot their process. They vet their opportunities. They vet their opportunities. They vet their opportunities. They vet their opportunities. And they're looking for perfect. There is no perfect. Decide and go and make it perfect. Well, that's fantastic, Ashton. It's been really nice talking to you. And every time I talk to you, I think about those delicious corn dogs at Varsity Food Truck in Manhattan, Kansas. If you get a chance to go to Manhattan, Kansas, try Varsity Food Truck. They don't open till 9 p.m. So if you're old like me, it's hard to get in there. Ashton, I got one more question for you. Some point in time, you made a big sacrifice. And at that point in time, you're like, God, this sucks. But later in life, you look back and you're like, thank God I did that. What was that sacrifice for you? I did sacrifice a part of my social life. I didn't get to go to every function. I didn't get to go to as many concerts or parties as my friends. Um, I didn't get to just hang out and relax and focus on homework like a lot of my friends in college. But I definitely don't regret making any of the sacrifices as far as time goes. I would encourage my younger self to take more risks, do that internship that sounds impossible, take on that role that sounds very time-consuming. My advice is to just go for it. Kind of going back to what we were talking about, peeling your eyes for opportunities. Peeling your eyes for, is that like you pull your eyelids off and you have to see the opportunities? I like that. Peel your eyes for opportunities. So it's interesting that you say that that's your biggest sacrifice. Um, I mean, I've hung out with you a bit. We have a great time. Now, we don't have a great time 72 hours a week. We, when I hang out with you, we work. We work from seven in the morning till eight, 9 p.m. And then we have a great time. That's why we're out at the varsity food truck. We did take from two o'clock till 10 o'clock last Wednesday to hang out on the beach. And it was a big deal for us. Uh, we're not going to go till six. We're going to take an extra four hours, which was a big deal. But man, we have a good time when we're having it. Man, we have success when we're working. And so you in college, you know, you did your sports and you had a full time job and you had great grades in college. You're able to do it all with that time management. And Ashton, I appreciate all the lessons that you're passing forward today. I always love hanging out with you, even if it's virtually recording a a Zoom podcast. I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for coming on the Edge of Excellence today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.